When I was a young teenager, there was this old poster. Do you remember? Of course, now it probably exists more in the form of a meme. But anyway, it was an image of a kitten desperately clinging to a tree branch with only its front paws, with the caption saying, Hang in there. A poster that hung on lots of preteen walls, I'm sure. I used to think that was the cheesiest thing I'd ever seen. Well, I don't think that anymore. This is the Rheology Podcast. My name is Scott Johnson, and as you might know by now, I don't have degrees in theology or the Bible. I'm just a regular guy who loves and follows God, but wanted to know if there was more to what I was experiencing in the world of Christianity, and more specifically, the church. And this podcast, well, it's the collection of a journey to dig much deeper into the realm of faith, and reality is the study of the do-over, and it's founded on the philosophy and the principle of stopping and thinking of what we're doing and why we're doing it especially when it comes to what I know about God, Jesus, and ultimately what all this has to do with me. As I've said often in these Reology podcast episodes and in the book that I wrote, there are lots of English words that we just don't use anymore. They were once relevant in the past to a culture long ago. Words that meant something significant in their modern time, but they just kind of get lost in translation for this modern culture, our current time, today. Unfortunately, a lot of these same words are still being used in Bible translations, translations that have the roots in original translations that were done centuries ago, hundreds of years ago, using words and phrases that were modern and even revolutionary in their time, but they just don't have the same effect today. In the book of John in the New Testament, I find a word that would fit that reality. It isn't really relevant today. In chapter 15, verse 4, translations like the New American Standard Bible have the word abide. In the chapters before, Jesus has been with his students, his disciples in the upper room of a house in Jerusalem, the capital city, and they've been celebrating the Passover meal together. Now, keep in mind, this is happening just hours before he'll be arrested and tried and then nailed to a cross and suffer death. And we know this as the Last Supper. And Jesus knows this too. It's the last. So he knows that it would probably be a good idea to give these guys a little bit of a heads up on kind of, you know, about what's going to happen, and also to help them to understand two very, very important things. And number one is that what is about to happen is exactly what is supposed to happen. And then two, don't worry about it. Up until this point, though, Jesus' students were thinking that he was going to be an actual earthly king, and most of the Jews did. I mean, that's kind of what they thought of the Messiah, that it was the coming king. And they thought that Jesus was actually going to be anointed and crowned king of the Jewish nation to lead it to rise up and defeat their captors, the Roman Empire. That Jesus would help their people be restored to the picture that we get from the Old Testament, getting back to the good old days. That's kind of what they thought would happen during their time here in Jerusalem. But their world and their thinking was about to be turned completely upside down. Their dreams dashed and their king would soon be dead. So Jesus is trying to comfort them ahead of time by telling them some deep truths about the now and the future. 
In chapter 14, starting at verse 16, Jesus even tells them that another will come after him, the helper, which we know is the Holy Spirit. He understands that some pretty tough times are waiting ahead for these guys, and not only them, but anyone who even halfway consider themselves followers of Jesus. So the Father is going to send a helper, and Jesus is giving them the last words of encouragement before everything looks as if it's tragically falling apart. So that's the context. That's the background of what he is saying in verse 4 of chapter 15. He also tells the students that he is like a grapevine with all kinds of branches. The vine is the source of health and life itself. But he is saying that he's the true vine, and if we are grafted to the vine, him, like branches, then well, everything's going to turn out okay, because he is the source of all eternal health and life itself. And eternal meaning the most important part of life, the spiritual part. Obviously, the physical part of life is, you know, it's frail and it's broken and it's failing. It's not nearly as important as the spiritual, the life that keeps going. And we can't build a foundation of who we are based upon the physical. We need to become branches and attached to the source of true health and life, the spiritual. And then Jesus, now in verse 4 in the New American Standard Bible and others, says three very important words. Abide in me. Unfortunately, though, we can't tell just how important these words actually are because most of us are probably a little fuzzy on what the word abide means. So the meaning of this statement at this exact moment in this situation gets lost in translation. Some other Bible translations, popular ones like the NIV and the NET and the NLT, they use the word remain instead of abide, which is fine. But it still doesn't quite have that ring, you know, remain in me. The message translation says, live in me, make your home in me. And that's pretty good. But when I look at the Greek word that was originally used, the definition is stay. More along the lines of stand in one place. Immediately makes me think of that cheesy poster, hang in there. When I got married to my wife almost 28 years ago, we stood in front of one another and in front of our family and our friends and, of course, in front of God and repeated that, those same vows that just about all grooms and brides repeat. Those words, I, Scott, take you, Robin, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. We were freely promising to each other on that day that no matter what life would bring us, we'd stick it out, we'd stay, we'd hang in there. Now, little inside joke here is that this phrase is, um, is definitely one that my wife and I have joked about throughout our marriage. Um, when things would not quite go our way in married life, you know, if we've got a bill out of nowhere or if the car broke down or the kids got sick, if something went just a little wrong, I would look at her and sarcastically say, we can get through it if we just stick together. Well, the immediate response that I would get would be an overly dramatic eye roll every time. Even though it was 
an inside joke, it didn't hide the fact that it was actually true. And it became even more true when we faced real issues, things that really put the pressure on. You know, it's, it's no wonder that marriage was patterned from the relationship that we have with God. Those marriage vows have their foundation in the pillars of the basics of what a relationship is all about, which is trust. Jesus was encouraging his students before trouble came, knowing that it would, urging them when things start to go off the rails, when life makes turns you didn't see coming, or when your expectations don't get met. Hang in there with me. Just like pledging to my wife an oath to stick together through thick and thin, God is asking that of every one of us. I mean, choosing to follow him is also a choice to follow his ways, which automatically means that things, they're just not going to go our way. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we have these human worldly expectations. They're just not going to be met. How we see our lives going, well, it just won't go that way. Inevitably, that will bring difficult times and maybe even difficult decisions and times that's going to question, do we really trust this guy? It's just the nature of what it is. We have freely chosen to follow and live for someone other than ourselves. And Jesus, knowing that this will prove to be hard at times, he's saying, hang in there with me, stick it out, stand still in one place, abide in me. He's saying, let's do this thing together. And all of that hinges on one main pillar, trust. It's not a cheesy poster. It's real. And it shouldn't be taken for granted. There will come trouble in our lives. And as the great theologian and poet Rich Mullins sang, there's bound to come some trouble to your life, but that ain't nothing to be afraid of. There's bound to come some trouble to your life, but that ain't no reason to fear. I know there's bound to come some trouble to your life, but reach out to Jesus, hold on tight. He's been there before and he knows what it's like. You'll find he's there. No matter what comes our way, no matter how unpredictable it is when it comes and no matter how big or impossible it seems, we can rest in the fact that situations are never bigger than God or out of his view. No matter how hard it is at times, today we need to trust God. We need to freely make that vow every day that we get out of bed that we're going to trust him above and beyond anything that we used to trust. Abide in God. Hang in there with him. I'd like to encourage you to rethink, research, and rediscover the depths of this relationship, the truths of God, the life of Jesus, and the purpose of the ecclesia, which is us. You can't just go to church and listen to the sermon and think all is going to be fine, because that's not nearly enough. Take a hold of this faith in God, the life we walk with him, with both of your hands, and make it your own. Don't take my word for it. Investigate God and get to know him on a much deeper level. But just remember... It all starts with a willing spirit to stop and think.